to the world of digital sound. Hey guys, how you doing? This is Ken. This is the Ken Burton podcast story for this week. I uh, haven't done one of these for a week or so. I've been, uh, I must have spent about three weeks now, probably four weeks with this fucking cold. And it's, it's, it's absolutely been killing me. I mean, I've, I've still managed to get to work, but some days been good, some days been bad, being a diabetic as well. And, you know, it just completely takes it out of you. It just completely destroys you as a human being. And in fact, I'm going to test now just while I think about it. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Um, so I haven't done one of these for a little while. And of course, we've got Christmas coming up, which is uh, great. It's not my favorite time of year. I've, I've got to say that. I think all this, um, all this Christmas joy and happiness, uh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of difficult. I think somewhere, somewhere down the line, I, I must have had a couple of really bad Christmases that I've forgotten about because for some reason, Christmas always makes me sad. It always does. It, <laughs> I, I, got no idea why but it just does and I don't know if it's is it just that it's a time of year when you kind of reflect on on your past year your past year's achievements and you know you've got a new year coming and uh, 2019 and that it's kind of it's really strange to think of 2019 I I think my biggest year ever, or my, my busiest Christmas ever, was the millennium, was uh, 2000, when the whole of the world of IT played this massive prank on the rest of the world, <laughs> by basically saying, yeah, come the millennium, planes are going to fall out of the sky, and <laughs> your computers are all going to go tits up, and well... Uh, as an IT manager at that point, I was uh, I was in a position to get all of our company software, reset a server, get a bank of PCs uh, running on um, a later date, a 2000 date, and we tested all the software, and it was fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. But, of course, we were all... Um, we were all just taking the piss. The horror stories were unbelievable. I, I remember sitting and watching Sky News, and this guy was on there saying, um, yeah, basically the the landing systems for aeroplanes will stop working. <laughs> because because um, most um, most of these were, were still on Windows 95, and unless they upgraded. And the the thing is... Uh, I'm absolutely convinced that guy was getting paid by Microsoft. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I'm sure he was getting paid by Microsoft uh, because there was a massive rush to upgrade everything to Windows 2000. It, 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 oh, it was just crazy time. And, of course, the night of the millennium, uh, New Year's Eve, all of my team were on standby. Every, all of us, absolutely every one of us knew that we weren't going to get called in. But we, <laughs> we, we basically were charging quadruple pay rates um, to um, be on call and be around in case anything happened. And uh, nothing happened. <laughs> it was so funny. The, the IT made millions and billions out of that. They just did. The big companies especially made an absolute fortune. Mm. Right, okay. So, um, so anyway, this is number six in the uh, uh, podcast story series, the forgotten podcast story series. Um, I'm going to call this one, I think, the heist. Now, this isn't something that I've forgotten. Um... But it's something without any solution. And perhaps that's why I haven't talked about it before. Because I simply didn't know enough to to make a conclusion. And I, 
I didn't understand an awful lot of what happened and why it happened. I just found myself in the thick of it. And I guess it's worth telling now because, um, oh, disclaimer. Right, so um, those of you who are listening to this in an audio format, by the way, uh, whether you're on Spotify or iTunes or where, wherever you are, Podbean, um, there is a, a video version which is on my YouTube channel, Ken Burton UK. So, um, so some of you are getting this visually and some of you are just getting this audibly. So uh, just, you know, bear that in mind. If you hear gaps, it's, it's because I'm doing something visual. Look, I'm waving at the camera. Whee! But of course, if you're on audio, you can't see that. Um, so, so anyway, uh, disclaimer. Right. And it has to be a disclaimer in this one. All parts, any of this podcast story may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think it is. And put your comments in the comments section. I read all of the comments. The comments are brilliant. They are just brilliant. I love love them with a passion, especially... um, Especially when I'm, I've had a bad day or, you know, I'm not feeling great and I can, I can go through those comments and it kind of takes me out of where I am now. Uh, the other thing about Christmas, I think, is you, you kind of assess uh, where your life is at that point. And in this day and age, very few people are happy with where their life is. I mean, don't get me wrong, you you meet happy people, of course you do. But um, the vast majority of the people that I meet are not happy with their lives in one form or one way or another, um, whether, in it, whether it's... Because um, I, I meet an awful lot of people, I mean, I sell cars for a living, and I meet an awful lot of people that are downgrading from... Uh, a car they had or they've come in to buy a new car because when they got made redundant the old dog uh, car that they bought has fell apart and they need a new one and I hear on a daily basis how um, you know uh, somebody was something and they were moving up a career ladder all of a sudden (coughs) excuse me Tony Blair and um Cameron opened the floodgates to Europe and now their job can be done by somebody who's willing to work for minimum wage. And that ultimately is why Brexit happened, to be perfectly honest. It just is. Mm. I mean, I, I knew um, I knew two guys um, many, many years ago and uh, recently I was in touch with them again. And these are two brothers. And they both worked at a very prominent place, very near to Kettering, um, both in uh, a security role. Um, and <laughs> what happened was both of these guys were team leaders. They were on a career path. Life was moving up for them. And then all of a sudden, somebody stepped in and said, we can supply all of your security staff for your site. And it was a big site. There was about 40 security guys um, on an agency basis on minimum wage. And the company, of course, jumped at it because companies are predominantly greedy. They're they're profit driven. Um, And these two guys got made redundant. Ever since then, they've been from one job to another, and they've been through Wincanton and Amazon and in the warehousing, and they're, they're both box shifters now. They're both box shifters from having a 30, early £30,000 salary, um, good life, you know, wife, 2.4 kids, one main holiday a year, one weekend away, you know, nice house, nice area. They've gone from that to minimum wage and they just can't get out that trap. And talking to these guys, even even two years on from when this happened, the 
utter resentment that they have that a foreign-owned company basically just turned up and wiped the floor with 40 UK jobs and put people in that A, didn't want to work there, B, could hardly speak English. Um, and, uh, and it's things like that. That's why Brexit happened. And uh, there, there are other, other reasons. I mean, I, I've, you know, unbelievably, and you can choose to believe this if you want, but I've actually been into my town centre here in Kettering. I've spent most of the day with my wife shopping and maybe we're, you know, buying Christmas presents or doing whatever we were doing. We spent the day in town. And the only time I heard English spoken was when we stopped for a coffee and we asked the lady behind the counter for two latte whatevers. And she responded to us in English. And we, we'd spent the entire day, you know, we'd been six hours in town and we hadn't heard anybody speaking English. And I think that that for us was just, you know, for me it was anyway. For me, I found that quite disturbing. I've, I've really got no problem with us being in Europe. I think the amount of money we're paying to Europe is quite ridiculous. But then again, this is what Tony did and this is why Tony became the big man uh, and ended up, you know, trying to be an envoy to the Middle East, which he failed out miserably. Um, Tony was in it for Tony and he sold the country out. And I think that's, you know, that's why we pay so much into it. Sorry about the politics, but it's just what I think. And when, when he did that, I think he caused this country so many problems. Now, as I say, I mean, I've really got no problem with us being in Europe or a single market or whatever, but this free movement of people, you can go anywhere in my town. Um, you can go to the local hospital. You can go to the local doctors. You can, uh, you can uh, go into the town centre. You can go into any shop and it will be it will be the exception rather than the norm if you hear anybody speaking English. And that for me is just wrong. It just is. Now, these two guys, as an example, their lives were ru ruined effectively by immigration, um, by this free movement of people. Um, sure, the company made more money, made more profit, gave out bigger dividends. The bosses got richer. The owners got fatter. Well, that's great, but there are human beings at the end of this chain. They just are. And if you look at every single job now that's on the job boards within a 30-mile radius of this area, they're all minimum wage jobs, all of them. I saw an advert the other day for a, an IT project manager must have PCP and the job was being advertised at £8.20 an hour. Yeah, that's more than minimum wage, but a project management professional, £8.20. And I'm sure they've got a dozen European guys with false degrees from false universities that apply for it. I don't know. I'm very cynical about the whole thing at the moment. Anyway, so let's get back to this podcast story. Um... Now, those of you who follow these will, will know that these are all based in and around Coventry in the 80s. And I was trying to rack my brains to think when this one was. It was certainly mid-80s because it was after I'd had my Capri, my Tickford. Um, but it was before I bought the BMW. So, I don't know, I'm guessing, I'm guessing 86 maybe, somewhere near there, can't remember. Anyway, so it doesn't really matter, but it was mid-80s, and uh, 
as I say, those of you who, who have listened to these podcast stories will know um, that I did some work for a family occasionally. The family that ran the city, uh, th that had control of everything within the city and kept the peace and kept us all, kept us all in line. Um, and it was, it was a safe place to be. It was a good place to be. It was a great place to, to be in your, your mid twenties, your early twenties. Now, a part of what I did was repo cars. And if you've listened to one of my previous con uh, podcast stories, you'll know that that's predominantly how we made our money. But occasionally we'd get the odd phone call. Occasionally the family would step in and need us for something. And it would be very low level. We didn't rob banks. Uh, we, didn't, um, we didn't go out and kill people. Uh, we didn't go out and break legs. Plenty of people did for the family, but that wasn't at our level. Our level was more stand on that street corner for three hours and just watch who comes in and out of that house. Um, you know, it was, it was that sort of level. And uh, this particular story is kind of based around that. But it was one with a difference. So we're going to be talking about a couple of people, okay? Um, now we're going to be talking about Mark, and I've I've changed all the names in this, all of them. All of these characters are fictional, okay? All of these names are changed. Mark was probably the greatest driver I ever met in my entire life. The guy could handle anything. He could drive anything, anywhere, anytime. Handbrake turns into car parking spaces, you know. He, he was the guy that would do all of this sort of stuff. He was the most sought after wheelman because he, he was very, very bent. Um, but he was the most sought-after wheelman that I ever knew. Everybody wanted Mark. Every, every job that came up, everyone, everybody wanted Mark to be driving the car because they knew they would get away. Mmm, water. So, um, Mark worked for the family. Mark was a really friendly guy as well. He took me out uh, maybe half a dozen times and showed me some tricks in the car. And I was just so impressed with the guy. I was just so impressed. He um, had tried to become a racing driver, but he'd run out of money. Um, and he was, uh, for a while, he was a motorcycle speedway rider which is basically oval track motorcycle riding. Uh, and he was very good at that. But again, he ran out of money. So, but Mark was, Mark was a really good guy. I got on really well with him. And as I say, I've met him a dozen times, if not more. So the second guy in our story is a guy called Tony, who I knew nothing about except for this guy's reputation. He was a safecracker. Uh, and when I talk about a safecracker, I don't mean, I don't mean what they do, you know, these days by putting plastic explosive on the front door and blowing the, the door off. He actually could open safes. Um, and I heard stories about him. Even as a kid, I heard stories about him. And he was apparently bloody good at what he did. Had his own locksmith business. I remember my aunt, um, when she locked herself out of her house, and she phoned his locksmith business. And it was Tony that came out, because it was the middle of the night. And she said that he literally got out of his van, 
walked up to the front door and said, that'll be 35 quid, please, or whatever. And she said, I'm, I'm sorry, do I have to pay you in advance? And he said, no, you're in. <laughs> it was incredible how, how, I mean, the way she described it, he walked up to the front door and then walked away again and the door was open. It was, oh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, his reputation preceded him. Now, um, two of the guys that are in our story today, I met them. Um, nice enough guys. Nice enough guys. They, they, we were on hello terms with these guys, but that was it. Both of them enforcers, both of them. So you didn't pay your debts, you, um, you didn't pay your protection money, you messed around with one of the girls in the houses, or, you know, you fucked up in any way, you upset the family, you get a visit from one of these guys. Plenty others like them, but it might be one of these guys. One of them was called Anthony, but we'll shorten him to Ant. That's not his real name. And the other one we're going to call Clive. Uh, Clive... Clive is another guy with a reputation. Ant, I didn't know a great deal about. He just seemed to, I don't know, come from nowhere, start working for the family, and he was good at what he did. He was an enforcer. Um, you wouldn't want to mess with him. I don't know anyone that would want to mess with him. Clive had a bit more of a, rep of a reputation because Clive was a boxer. Um, and down at our local uh, social club, there used to be a boxing ring in the basement and uh, a lot of people had come and they they had events they had all, all sorts of things I once saw Errol Christie fight there anyone remember Errol Christie uh, yeah I might be a bit old a bit long in the tooth for that so they're the four people that are involved in this okay in this story so what happened was, I was sitting in, in the flat, a uh, few people around, we're having a few beers, and we're just chewing the fat, we're laughing and joking, uh, there's a few girls with us, um, there's a few guys with us, and we're just, we're just laughing and joking, having a good time, it's good. Phone rings, and it's a member of the family, I knew quite well or he knew me quite well and uh, he basically phoned me and he just said uh, we've got an issue we've got something happening tonight we've lost one of the cars can you get us a car um, yeah not an issue can't get a car uh, what do you need make it fast it's got to have five seats and uh, something that will blend. Okay, so off I go. And uh, he told me where to deliver it. And I go three streets away from where I live and I steal a Mondeo. Okay. Um, quite a nice Mondeo. Fairly new, really nondescript. Quite, quite a nice car. Big engine job as well, two litre. So. So. I take it to the location they've told me to take it to. And these guys are waiting for me. Mark, Tony, Ant and Clive. Now they're in a different car. Um, and I'm just there, I'm the backup car. Now, backup cars were used uh, quite extensively because if they were going to do something, what they would do is they would do it in the car that they're going to do it in and then get to a quiet corner and swap cars. Obviously. Obvious thing. Sometimes there'd be two or three backup cars. They'd change two or three times if they were getting out of the city or something. But So we're all hanging around, right? Uh, and I said to 
the member of the family I was talking to said, do you want, do you want me to, is that it? Uh, can I um, shoot off? And he said, no, stick around for a bit. So I stuck around. Uh, we checked the car out. Uh, boys had a look at it, just made sure that it wasn't leaking oil or, you know, it was in a fit condition. Um, there were probably 10 guys at the warehouse, probably 10. And uh, after about an hour, um, and we're, we're all, there's a bottle of scotch on a pallet and a load of glasses and everyone's having a little, little drink. And this member of the family came over to me and he said, um, right, he said, we've lost our driver. Uh, do you mind driving? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem at all. You never refused the family or you never got another job off them again. So um, it was easy enough. He gave me a location. He gave me instructions. Um, and he basically told me, just in case, you might want to take this. And he gave me a gun. Um, it was only a, a 9mm Beretta, I mean, it was nothing. Um, okay in close quarters, but, you know, it was, it was only there in case of emergencies. And he gave me a gun. He said, you're, you're loaded, there's one in the pipe, and here's a mag. And he gave me a second mag. And um, I went out in this uh, Monday, and I parked at the set location, uh, had my phone with me. I knew, or they told me, exactly where to park, how to park which direction the car should be pointing in. Um, lights off, just behind a farmer's fence. And, you know, I, I'm, I can't be seen from the road. And we're out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Absolutely out in the middle of nowhere. Well, uh, I'd seen, only because of the, when they were explaining to us where, where it was all happening and what was going on, the weirdest site, very weird site. It was a, a compound, it had a warehouse in the middle of it. And it, it was it was the sort of thing you'd expect to find a farmhouse there, but it wasn't. There wasn't any farmhouse. It was just a fenced off, gated compound. And it looked to be a distribution warehouse, uh, no signs. No signs on it at all. Uh, and that was kind of it, really. That was that was all I knew about it. Well, the phone rings. And it was the member of the family. And he said, it's, it's gone wrong. Get the car to the location. And get them out. Uh, and then in the code that we used to use at the time, you're now the primary, which meant I was lead car. Um, and backup was en route. So I didn't have time to think. I didn't have time to react. I grabbed the gun, which was in the glove box. And I cocked the gun and put it on the passenger seat. I then put my foot down with my heart beating so fast in my chest that I genuinely thought I was going to pass out. Nice little wheel spin out of the uh, area that I was in. Down the farm track. And then I, went, I actually went straight past the entrance to where this was. Slammed the car in reverse. Backed up. 
looking all the time to see if I could see any of the guys. Couldn't see a damn thing. And I headed down uh, a, a road. It was, the road was better than the road that I'd driven down to get there. It, it, it was properly concreted. There were white lines on it. It was, it was a proper road. There were lights on it. Um, and I headed towards this compound. The closer I got, the more I saw. There were flashes and then then you would hear the gunshot and it all seemed completely surreal, completely. I, I don't think my mind was working fast enough to take in what was happening. Now, as I got close to the compound, there were some containers um, and there was maybe five or six of these at one part of the yard. And uh, there were flashes coming from uh, the upstairs windows of this warehouse. There were flashes coming from the door area. There was a couple of parked cars and there were flashes coming from around the cars. And then there were also a set of flashes coming from the containers. Now I've got two choices. I, and I couldn't think quickly enough was, was the biggest problem. I kind of had to decide, have our guys been caught inside and are trying to get out? Or have we got out and we're firing back. I didn't know who was our side. And it was just chaos for me. I mean, it was just chaos. I, uh, the gates were closed. Um, and I, made a, a kind of half-assed attempt to go through the gates with this Mondeo. I put the front end of the car on the gates, but to be honest, the gates looked so heavy. There wasn't any way that I was going to be able to break the chains. No way. So I reversed um, and took a, uh, took a trip at the fence and uh, the the fence just broke and just broke with the car hitting it and I was back I'd come off murder and back on tarmac um, and I headed towards the containers there were more gunshots there were It sounded to me either like there was a lot of people firing a lot of weapons or it was automatic gunfire. And I don't think I had ever in my life come under automatic gunfire. Well, the car got hit, uh, God knows how many times windows broke, um, they just smashed out. But I hadn't been hit and the car was still driving. So I tried to drive towards where the containers are. In my headlights, somebody's lying on the floor. And all I'm seeing uh, is a big pool of blood around the head 
of um, the goddess lying on the floor. And uh, I swerved out of the way. I didn't want to hit it. I, I swerved out of the way. As I swerved out of the way, I got towards the containers. And I can see Mark. And I'm thinking, yes, you've made the right call. Because I could have been heading straight in to the the shit of the guys that were firing on our guys. I remember thinking at the time I wasn't qualified for it. I wasn't. I wasn't good enough for it. I just. I didn't have the level of experience that I needed to be in that situation and I think when you when you think you've got to know your limitations I found mine at that point that day I found mine to say I was scared I'm not sure what it was it wasn't there was a level of fear, but there was also this level of adrenaline going through me that just made me very singular-minded in what I was trying to do. So, um, brakes, smoke everywhere, boys jump in the car, all I'm hearing is go, go, go. And I put my foot down. And uh, it was obvious to me that the containers were between us and the people that were shooting at us. So I went back through the fence um, and headed towards the towards the road crossed the field, hit the road, and I could see the road because it was lit, and down the road, and then somebody shouted stop. So I stopped. When, when you're in that position, um, And, and it's, it's almost like a military operation. You know who's in charge. And when they give you an order, you react. And it was just incredible. But I reacted really quickly. We stopped the car. And... Uh, I look behind me, um, Tony's injured. He's uh, bleeding from a leg wound. And Clive isn't with us. Um, and somebody said, somebody said, is Clive alive? And somebody else said he's gone. Um, and that was weird that was weird very sort of matter of fact you know of oh I've lost my lighter you know <laughs> no he's gone <sighs> fucking hell I thought that the next step was that we were going to drive back to the warehouse what actually happened was totally the opposite. Somebody said turn round. And I thought, what? And then I heard it again, turn round. And I spun the car. And 
somebody else said turn the lights off I turned the lights off and I drove uh, part the way down the road um, part the way on the field and um, then we all got out and unleashed hell is the only way I can describe it absolute hell Mark had got a um, he'd gone to the boot of this Mondeo now I knew that they'd put something in the boot I didn't know what it was what they'd put in the boot was a couple of AK-47s and a load of other stuff and uh, Mark grabbed an AK and just started firing now a lot of these guys that had obviously been firing at us were around the body in the compound and um, God knows what I was doing. I was firing that distance with a 9mm. I wasn't hitting shit. I wasn't hitting shit. But I reckon maybe four of their guys went down. Um, another two or three were crawling along the ground. And um, they, they scattered when the AK went off. Their guys. Um, and, and Mark shouted to me, get the car. So I went back, got the car. And the thought occurred to me, I should have grabbed an AK. I should have grabbed, the, I mean... <laughs> Mark at one. I should have grabbed an AK from the boot instead of trying to fire at these guys from that distance with a fucking pea shooter. But uh, the, uh, your brain doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't kick in that quickly. It just doesn't. How to describe it? Decision making. I can see why the army train their men to react the way that they do because it's thinking time is too much time I grabbed the car and uh, moved it forward um, Tony's already in the car he's at the back of the car and uh, he's trying to wrap something around his wound um, Mark gets back in the car and uh, we d we just go forward at that point um, at that point I think I realised that Ant wasn't with us And it was Mark shouting the orders. It was, it was chaos. It's just chaos. Drove forward through the gap in the fence that I've made. Out of nowhere, Ant does a fireman's carry on Clive's body and uh, throws him into the back of the car uh, Mark's still there with the AK-47 shooting the living shit out of this place whatever it was and we we drove out with a great you know set of wheel spin and a, a load of smoke we drove out Uh, Mark made a phone call and I was told to drive to a location 
and we drove to that location and there was another car waiting for us. <coughs> and we swapped cars. We went um, five miles, lay by, and a van. We left the car. Uh, I had been told, by the way, to smoke the car, uh, which I did. And basically, by smoking the car, I mean you—you you, you just carry a can of petrol. You let the petrol loose on the car and put a match to it. Um, so I smoked the Mondeo. Second car that we were in, I smoked that. We got in the back of the van and we drove back to the warehouse. When we got to the warehouse, it was quite funny. On, on the way back, Mark is having a conversation with the member of the family. Mark's sitting there talking to this member of the family next to me and I didn't hear a word he said and I, I'm wondering now when you look back at it I'm wondering whether or not I was in shock because nothing was real nothing it, it was just like a bad dream and that journey in that van God, it seemed to take forever. But I'd, I'd imagine that they went back street, back street, and uh, made sure that um, we weren't being followed. Well, we got back to the warehouse. Uh, a couple of guys, we all got out of the van. A couple of guys got a close body out. And there was a body bag there and they put him in the body bag. There was a guy there who had a bag of tricks and a stethoscope and he repaired Tony. Uh, we, uh, we were told to put all the weapons in a certain place. Uh, we emptied our pockets, mags, bullets, anything to do with it. They took our, they took our gloves, um, and we stood there and had another shot of whiskey. Uh, Ant was um, particularly pissed. He. Um, He was explaining to to the family that the op had gone wrong, that we were expected, or they were expected. And as soon as they got close, um, that's when the fireworks started. So they didn't get whatever it was that they'd gone for. Now the worst thing about this entire situation, I have no idea what that warehouse was, who owned it, who was in it. It was too close to Coventry to be something the family wouldn't be involved in. And the only thing I can imagine is that somebody double-crossed somebody or, you know, something went wrong. Mark on the job I can understand for wheels. Tony I can understand there may be a safe in there and they wanted something. They didn't usually send two enforcers on a burglary. So they were there to break legs. Definitely. And one of them paid for it. One of them paid the price. It's the worst thing, it's the worst thing imaginable to not know why, 
when you came so close to being killed? What was it about? Um, who the fuck did I just risk my life for? Who the fuck has the right to ask me to risk my life? I got paid um, for the job. And uh, like most of Coventry, it would seem, we all attended Clive's funeral. Um, <laughs> they said it was a car accident. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, sure some coroner got rich off that one. I saw Ant um, a dozen times after that. Uh, never spoke about it. He used to nod to me, I'd nod to him. Tony, uh, I didn't see him that much after that. He was still around, he was still doing his doing his stuff, still being the locksmith. Uh, but I, I didn't see much of him. And Mark, about six months after that, Mark got jailed for his part in an armed robbery in Birmingham. He'd been loaned out when someone else's, uh, some other families or group, their wheelman hadn't been able to cut it and uh, Mark was loaned out by the family and they got caught. Um, of course he'd be out by now if he made it through. But uh, he got nine years. He's probably sitting somewhere with his uh, pipe and slippers now. don't know. Thinking about times past. The only reason uh, we found out afterwards uh, that Mark was any good with an AK-47, he was an ex-soldier. And he knew rifles. <laughs> and apparently they had... Um, they trained with AK-47s for a time, um, getting to know the enemy's weapon. So he told me a long time after that. Well, a couple of months anyway. It took me, to, I think, mentally it took me a long time to get over it. Uh, when I got back to the flat, people were saying to me that I was literally white as a sheet. And you think, really? All the blood had drained. And I was, I was shaking. I couldn't sleep. Following day, I just didn't feel great. Uh, I, just, I actually felt quite sick, and it wasn't—it wasn't the fact that you know I'd seen a guy uh, with part of his head blown, but um, I think it was more the fact of what came back to haunt me afterwards was fifty yards between the fence and the containers and the bullets hitting the car and the glass breaking. How I wasn't hit is just a miracle. Every piece of glass from side windows, the quarters, the rear screen, everything had been smashed out and um, there were bullet holes in the doors, bullet holes in the wings. <sighs> Don't get it. Any one of those bullets could have, 
could have and should have knocked the car out. That's what I, d- I don't get, really. How did the car keep going? I've been in the train 30 years. I've never... I don't know. All my knowledge tells me that car should have fallen apart. Or exploded. But it didn't. It just kept going. A few weeks ago, I was sitting watching something on uh, TV. And... uh, It was, it was an old show, but a guy had, a guy drove a car that had been shot at, and it brought the whole thing back, the whole thing, even though it was an American show, and he ended up driving the car off the end of a pier, they got the noise right. That was what really amazed me about the show. They got the noise right. And that night, closed my eyes, relived the whole fucking thing. And now it's crystal. It's like it was yesterday. Makes the hairs on my neck stand up. Now think about it. I um, I had a conversation with the family, or a member of the family, not long after that. I got paid, um, and he said, you did well. Thanks for that. He said, you kept your head. Yeah. He said, there's a place for you if you want in. And this is the thing about knowing your limitations. I just shook my head. And he just looked at me and he went, another day maybe you can, another day. (laughs) Jesus. I don't know how people live their lives like that. I just have no idea. I suppose this is why I've got such a admiration for coppers these days. Because they, they go into life and death situations every day. These days they do anyway. You never know whether some 12 year old shit's got a knife or not. Even I think twice before telling them to piss off. God. Would have been an opportunity I suppose life would have been quite different moving up the ranks trying to be something but I'm sure that's what Clive thought so anyway guys this has been um, the heist Uh, number six of the Forgotten Stories. Yeah, one thing I was going to mention about uh, about this, when I thought about it the other day, I thought about recording it. No one tells you about the smell when somebody just dies like that. You can never forget it. Hope you've enjoyed this one. Uh, the next one, I guarantee you, will be a bit more cheery. Somebody, somebody has reminded me something of something <coughs> that uh, is definitely podcast worthy. Um, I'm not sure it puts me in the best light, but there you go. <laughs> but that will be the next one. So thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast stories. And uh, as long as you support them, I'll make them. 
one day they'll end up in a film or a book. One day. You will take care. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you on the dark side. Welcome to the world of digital sound. Shutting down all systems.